With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. People want to be trusted to be able to make the decision about where they need to be at any given time to get their work done and be able to set themselves up well to do that. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden, and I'm here with my next guest, Karen Manja, on The Kara Golden Show. And very, very excited to have you here, Karen, and really excited for all of you to listen in on the conversation today. So Karen, in her day job, she is the Vice President, Customer and Market Insights at Salesforce, but she recently wrote not one book, but two books, and they are so fantastic. And one is called Listen Up, How to Tune In to Customers and Turn Down the Noise, And the other one is called Working From Home. And they're both, both excellent, seriously. So definitely think about those. We'll remind you about it towards the end, but definitely pick up copies of those. So Karen, we'll let Karen tell us a little bit more about why uh, she decided to write not only a couple more books, she wrote another book. And this is her second and third one. So the last book was called Success with Less. Success with Less. Okay. I knew I had, uh, actually, I have to go back and read that one, honestly, but I'm excited to to do that. So Karen in her role and just overall has just been really committed to diversity and inclusion and serves on her company's racial equality and justice task force. She's a TEDx speaker. And one of the many things that I share in common, obviously, is that is that we're authors, but also we both really appreciate customers. And so Market and customer insights, as I said, is her is her deal at Salesforce. I love this quote. I don't know if you'll remember this uh, saying this, Karen, but I believe better questions lead to a mindset shift about how to improve the health of our customer relationships now. And I think that is so perfect to get started with our conversation. So welcome, Karen. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I mean, it was it was getting lonely in my home office. So it's nice to have some company, even virtually and at a distance. It, absolutely. So first off, let's talk about who are you? Where did you start your whole, where did Karen begin? And how did you get to Salesforce? Well, my my beginnings, my early years as a child were in Northern Indiana and several Midwestern towns. Along the way, I had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time 
volunteering and learning in Peru, South America, which was a remarkable experience that really shaped a lot about how I saw the world. You know, that was during my, my college years. And in my professional life, I think about it as kind of three big tech companies for me. So, you know, all these mysterious startups you've never heard of, you know, AT&T, Cisco, and Salesforce. And, you know, it's so funny when I think about my career, what really got me excited when I was in university was working for a professor and helping him send out a survey every year, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough. And it was to radio and television news directors. And we were looking for trends. And I learned a lot from him about asking questions, doing these live interviews. I now know that as qualitative research and then looking for themes. And we would write these articles about what we were discovering. And at the time I thought, wouldn't it be so fantastic to work for Nielsen ratings, right? The company that did all that kind of research. And unfortunately I hadn't done my homework because I failed to look up the fact that that was headquartered in Iowa. And that didn't sound like a great place to live to me. And what was so interesting was I kind of put that on the side. And ultimately, if I look at my career with customers and doing customer experience work, the core of that is about that first job that I had for that professor that I loved, which is asking great questions listening deeply for the answers and looking for those hidden themes. It's so interesting. My first uh, job out of college, I should say, not my very first job, was working. I wanted to work in journalism and I wanted to work for Fortune, but didn't get a job there. But I got a job in the building at time. And the role was an executive assistant in this thing called circulation. I had no idea what circulation was, but I was just excited to work for, you know, this premier magazine um, and what I learned at at time in circulation has sat with me and helped me for years because circulation is um, at a sort of short level. It's the blow in insert cards that fall out of magazines that are so annoying. But the analysis that I got to hear early on and become involved in around um, what to what do consumers respond to on pricing and what words and what colors and all of this stuff. And I now, you know, over 50% of our business at Hint is direct to consumer. And so there's, while I don't run that team on a day-to-day basis, there's so many of these things that I look at and, and think about, you know, that first job. It's so it, and what I really loved about it and what I was learning about the consumer. So uh, I totally, I, I have another thing in common with you about that. So, so you had that role and then, and then what next? Yeah. So I started my career in project management at at and And, you know, my thought process at the time is, won't this be great to work for a big brand, a known brand that people have heard of? And my thought at the time was, it's a great opportunity to probably have a variety of jobs without moving to a different company. I I could see Mm -hmm. this as a place where I could build a career. And it was fascinating because my move from project management to sales is absolutely, utterly unglamorous. I'll never forget the time when my boss called me into his office at the end of the day. And I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach, like when you're in school and you get called to the principal's office, I was like, I'm either in trouble or I'm getting fired. 
So I sit down in his office. It's like five o'clock. He walks in nonchalantly carrying this mug of hot tea, his glasses kind of perched on the end of his nose. And he sits down and looks at me and says, so Don's retiring. And I was thinking the two things the listeners are probably thinking right now, which is who is Don and why do I care? And what he said to me was, Don's retiring and we want you to take over his his accounts. He was a salesperson Mm -hmm. until we can hire someone. Hmm. And he said, you'll be taking over the star module. I didn't hear anything he said after that, because what came through to me is, you're going to be a star. Well, Yeah, of course. Big job. Yes, of course. Doesn't sound fantastic. And as I as I called the 100 customers that were on the list, one agreed to see me, one customer out of 100. And I prepared like you read about. I mean, it was a textbook preparation for a sales call, the good suit, the whole deal. It's about the time when I roll up into this abandoned looking office park and I walk inside and see this dilapidated office furniture that it kind of hit me. I think Star must have stood for like small, troubled and risky, right? No one else wanted these customers. (laughs) Right, right. So I go into the conference room, I sit down, I'm wearing my interview suit. It's the only one I own. And I pull out this manila folder and I hand out these proposals I've prepared. And then I proceeded to read the proposal to the customer. I mean, every single word. And I won the deal. And I marvel at that now. And what I've come to understand, and this is you know a theme I talk about in, in Listen Up is, I truly had a beginner's mind. I mean, I had never done a sales call before. I had never called on the customer. So I asked them questions and I truly heard and internalized what they were saying because it was the first time I was hearing it. And it took later into my career and you know losing some deals and leading big sales teams to discover truly what a gift it is to ask a question and pretend like you've never heard the answer before so you can hear what the customer's truly saying. So interesting. So then how, like, how did you get to Salesforce? I got to Salesforce because I had been writing a blog. We were talking about our shared interest in blogging. And so the customer experience blog I was writing at the time when I was leading Voice of the Customer and Customer Experience Globally at Cisco, you know, created some visibility opportunities. And at the time, Salesforce was thinking about how to add some new dimensions to the way they were connecting with customers. I mean, of course, the company was growing incredibly quickly at that time. The nature of who the customer base was, was changing very quickly and starting to divide a little bit between, you know, people who used the product from people who developed, you know, using the product or developed features around the product from people who were the influencers and decision makers tied to, are we going to spend money with the company? And so I started out by just having some conversations. I mean, Cisco and Salesforce are customers of one another. And it just started in that vein. Hey, could you share some ideas? We read your blog. And that ultimately created an opportunity for me to come to Salesforce and to get to build some of those programs and ideas that we talked about, which was a really fun journey. That's awesome. And what what was the most surprising insight that you've ever seen from a customer? What's most surprising to me is when customers will highlight something to us that it sounds so simple and so obvious, and yet it, it's something that we're not doing. Mm-hmm. And you know that can play out in a range of ways. I mean, one that comes to mind is you know very simple aspects of how we integrate what we're doing 
you know, into our customers' workflows or even just some of the use cases that our customers have highlighted us to us through the years. You know, we're thinking about something that's very complicated. And really, sometimes the needs that we're solving for are something that are very simple, but but are easily overlooked. And and what I like about this opportunity to connect with customers and and hear about their vision for the future or their challenges or how they're trying to disrupt is sometimes within that, you know, you'll hear just a signal of opportunity that you think, wow, how did we not, how did we not think of that? Yeah. And, and what I love is when we have those conversations before we bring something to market. And, and so when we do, it's really baked in an outside in view of a customer really having a need or multiple customers. And, and we're really doing something to solve it. I think that's so true. I always talk about uh, entrepreneurs and, you know, versus these large companies, because I think so often they're living in this world where they can't actually hear what is going on with the consumer and they don't have consumer insights groups or they don't ask the customer. Right. And I think that it's, um, that's not to say that your business should be totally dictated on what your customers tell you to do. Um, so if I asked my customers, for example, about hint, I would find a few customers that would tell me to do a turkey water or <laughs> right. I mean, and we're not going to do a turkey water. That's one I, I'm pretty sure. So, but I do feel like actually understanding the problem. Um, and that's often what you're talking about. People who don't really know what they're saying in terms of they're, they're really highlighting problems that they're seeing. And, and especially if you are a solutions-based company then um, or product, that that's, that's super, super key. So I think that's uh, totally agree. So, so you came out with two books this year. Why two books, first of all? Very different books, but I mean, why two? Well, the way the journey started is hearing our CEO talking mm-hmm. about, you know, at the time when the pandemic was just starting. I mean, if, if you think back to that time of incredible uncertainty, he encouraged us to, to tap into our entrepreneurial roots. And he said, think like an entrepreneur. What would you start right now? Think like an entrepreneur. What would you start? And so I contracted with my publisher, Wiley, to write this book, Listen Up. And I thought, okay, I'm watching our company, you know, bring entire products to market that weren't even on the roadmap at the beginning of the year and doing so quickly. And if they can do that, I I mean, I'm sure I can go write this book about connecting with customers. This will be timely. In times of disruption or uncertainty, most organizations think about connecting with their customers, you know, keeping Mm -hmm. the ones you have and potentially getting some new ones, you know, if the opportunity presents itself. And so I thought this will be relevant, timely, actionable. And I'll never forget turning in that manuscript on May 1st and thinking, wow, this is such an accomplishment, right? So listen up, it's scheduled to come out at the end of October. About a week and a half later, I'm having a conversation with my, my editorial team, publishing team at Wiley. And we started talking about working from home. And I shared I was on our company's task force and I had been writing a blog about the topic and it was getting a lot of reaction. And I'll never forget my editor, she said, working from home. Do you think you could write a book about that? And I laughed hysterically. And I said, oh, in my sleep. Yeah. You're just trying to get your other book launched, but right. it's- <laughs> I never anticipated her follow-up question, which was, do you think you could do it in two weeks? I was like, no. 
And she said, how about 30 days? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. 30 days. And I responded with the two words now that I realize can help all of us kind of see and do the impossible. And they were, why not? Yeah. And I'm so glad I said yes. So what really happened was I ended up writing that working from home manuscript in 30 days and it came out just 60 days after that. So, I mean, conversation to holding that book in my hand was less than 90 days. And, you know, I think about that power of, of why not, mm-hmm. you know, of things that we can all say yes to right now and try that in another context might just seem outlandish. And right now there's an opportunity. I totally agree. So one of the things that you talk about in the book is engaging in some in a dialogue with a customer. Sounds great, but how many people like where do you start? And what do you think are kind of the first things that you should think about that you should ask? I mean, just take me through that. What I think about right now and the time that we're in is we're needing to connect with customers in a way that's exactly the opposite of how most of us were taught. I mean, when when I got past that initial super lucky sales call where I won and got some actual sales training where they teach you you shouldn't read a proposal to a customer, you know, I think what we're taught so often is, you know, ask some questions, have a conversation, and then you're going to show up with that customer and you're going to have this wonderful presentation where you you know, restate the customer's objective or the business problem they're trying to solve. Then you're going to outline how your solution is a fit. Maybe you're going to throw in some ROI and then always conclude with the next steps, action, alignment, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm finding what we really have to do is unfinish our slides. Hmm. We need to show up with really thoughtful questions and Mm -hmm. co-create the path forward with our customers in a way that shows up as engaging and collaborative across video technology. So don't have all the answers. Don't have all the answers, which is, I think, exactly the opposite of what we've been taught and what we think being an expert or a partner looks like to a customer. Mm -hmm. And right now, I think there's lots of unanswered questions. And what customers really want is, let's talk about those together. You know, what What information could you share? What paths could we pursue? What could pilots look like? Creating that together, you know, it, it helps your solution be a little bit more sticky, but it also means you've got to prepare for that meeting in a very different way. I mean, you need to orchestrate interaction, discovery, you know, those meetings can't be four hours long, breaking it into smaller pieces. And so it's it's show up with better questions and not with all the answers. Yeah, I think so often too, depending on not just for, you know, whether your customer is an individual or, you know, a company, you know, B2C or B2B, I think it's, uh, it, it is not in your best interest to show up with all the answers and just sort of take somebody through a deck too, because you may not know what their pain points are or you may not even understand their business, right? And I think that when you come up and you're thinking all about you, right? And and how you can put on your best show, but I think without actually really understanding. And maybe you do that ahead of time even and trying to come up with some solution. I've seen that done successfully, but I think that that's such an important thing. Otherwise, I think so many times people just feel like you're just wasting their time and they sort of form this opinion, maybe not rightfully so, but but kind of that presentation. So, well, I think this book is, it really 
gives you kind of best practices. And again, it's called Listen Up. And then let's go to the other book here. I feel like I'm Mr. Rogers or something right now. <laughs> so uh, working from- cardigan? I, I know, exactly, exactly. Where's my red <laughs> cardigan? Working from home. And so talk to me about that. Obviously, it's, it's a hot topic right now as most of us are working from home and we don't know- how much longer we'll be working from home for many of us, or some of us are running companies from home. So what is the kind of the big thing? What is the takeaway from that? The takeaway is now what? Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that, I mean, you, you hit on that so beautifully a moment ago, you know, the first phase when we all went to working from home was adrenaline. Mm -hmm. You know, we were full of adrenaline from battling this mysterious unknown illness, willing to do whatever it takes, right? To take care of our customers, ourselves, our health. And on the other side of adrenaline was the honeymoon is over. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can work 20 hours a day. You can wake up in your pajamas, work from your bed all day long, go to sleep and do it again. But how long should you really go without a shower? And then that gave way to how long is this going to last? You said that a moment ago. Mm -hmm. And what I hear within that is the question people are really asking is, how do I live and work in a sustainable way, mm -hmm. especially now that this is becoming more permanent than I might have thought? And, you know, what I encourage people to do is just either individually or as a team or an organization, just take a brief pause and ask yourself a couple of very simple questions. You know, the first is what's working? You know, we all implemented some strategies you know, by happenstance or on purpose that are playing out well, that are working, what's working next, what is not working. And then the last one for me is, you know, what is the smallest task or thing or strategy that we can give ourselves permission to adjust, you know, and for some people, it's the finally coming to the realization that that antique dining room chair is not comfortable. You have back problems and you should not sit there anymore. Yeah. Sometimes at an organizational level, it's, if we are going to have this as a more extended period of time, how do we need to reskill and retrain in light of the fact that people need to have discovery conversations or difficult conversations or performance review conversations for the first time virtually? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we think about making some purposeful investments? Because this is taking a little longer than we might have thought. I think that's that's super important. So do you think about and, and advise your own team to sort of get into a schedule or pattern? Or what do you think are some of the quick things, quick pieces of advice that you see really working for people living in this world? Routines, rituals, and boundaries. You know, you might not have loved your commute in the past when you went into a physical location, or if you got up in the middle of the night regularly to go catch planes or whatever that looked like for you. The reality is, you had a routine that, that signaled to your brain and to your body, we're getting ready to do work now. And that's a specific mode. And another catalyst, whether that's beating the traffic, picking your kids up from daycare, meeting up for a happy hour, that was your boundary mm -hmm. that sent you into a ritual to end your day and transition out of that. And, we, and we've lost that. And so I encourage people to be thoughtful about what is the five to 10 minute maximum go to work and leave work ritual that you can put in place for yourself. And in fact, this week, 
there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, both in print and in their digital format, about the rise of the fake commute, about the number of people now that are saying, you know, I think I do need to set my alarm clock, get up, take a shower, and then go outside and walk around the block, come back in, make my coffee or tea, and then go to a specific place. Yeah, I think that's so true. Yeah, I've had others share with me, hey, you know what I do now is I get up in the morning and I pack my briefcase just like I did before. You know, I put my water bottle in there, I put my snacks in, I'm dressed for work. I take my briefcase to the space where I do my work. I unpack it, I do work. And at the end of the day, I shut it all down, pack it up, leave and then I stick that in my closet or in a drawer. So I've now left work. We need these simple rituals to help us change the channel to have some time where we're off. And also when we're ready to be at work, to get ourselves in that zone. Yeah, I think that's so true. You know, it's interesting. I've been, I go into, or I used to go into my office in San Francisco, but I travel a lot. And so I found that I was already kind of in that pattern that you're talking about, that I I always said to people when I was traveling that I would pay attention to the existing time and I would set my alarm and I would not pay attention. You know, if I was tired, I would obviously, you know, figure out how to catch up on that. But more than anything, I think getting into that ritual, paying attention to what time it is, and then also getting, I have to get my exercise in first thing in the morning because otherwise it just gets away from me. And, you know, stuff comes up every day that I didn't know I was doing yesterday. And so I think that really allowing yourself to kind of get outside and get that experience or, you know, whatever it is, however you do that, I think is so important just to kind of set your mind in the right direction. And then, you know, also I feel, I feel like technology too, upgrading your technology because technology not working is really stressful, right? And figuring out how to get, you know, it better. Cause I think I was even, I had, I have four kids who were all doing school. And so my bandwidth in my house was just crazy. I mean, it was insane. And so it took me a little while to get it all together. But I think that's another thing, like elite, try and figure out what the problems are, just like with your customers and alleviate that stress. So I think that's super, super important. What do you think happens after people start to go back to the office? Do we go back to, you know, normal? Like, do people... I, does this whole virtual environment go away? I mean, what what happens, do you think? Well, I believe we all have become authors in the past six months or so, and we've written a fairy tale together, and it goes something like this. Once upon a time, I worked in a magical place where I was highly productive, and my life was balanced. It was called the office. Mm-hmm. And there, you see, Everything was wonderful. My dreams came true and I was under much less stress because I could connect with my boss and my team and have these firm boundaries between my work and my life. And nostalgia is a powerful pull, right? So I think initially people will want very much the moment they can to return to that magical, wonderful dreamlike place called the office, right? We've longed for it to some degree. I think what we'll discover is you know, a collection of people in an office who can't really be together because there will still be some restrictions, you know, that that the office without camaraderie is kind of a collection of desks and it's just Zoom calls in a different location, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what employees are asking for really over the longer horizon is 
the autonomy to choose where they need to be to do their work and show up at their best. Interesting. Sometimes that might be in an office and in a conference room or with a customer in person. Sometimes that might be at home, but it's all about, you know, flexibility and choice. And I think within that, you know, it really, really gets to this underlying kind of push and pull about trust. Mm -hmm. You know, people want to be trusted to be able to make the decision about where they need to be at any given time to get their work done and be able to set themselves up well to do that. It's interesting. I was interviewing the CEO of Very Desks. Um, it's now the company, I guess they changed the name. It's just Very. But it was interesting because he was talking about space planning. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of that going on. But something that you just said combined with what he had said to me was that the biggest challenge is these conference rooms, right? That what happens to them because you, you know, it's very difficult for most people to have enough space and, you know, to have people sit, whatever, six feet apart. And then, you know, what exactly is happening in an enclosed room with the doors down. But I just think that I think so much of what we've learned over the last year and what we've gotten comfortable with around whether it's Zoom or other platforms is that could be the meetings, right? For a while. And I, and maybe you do that from your desk, Right. Mm -hmm. If you do need to get together with people versus actually being able to safely distance. And I don't know, I, I, I think at least for the next year, I think there's a lot of people that are kind of trying to figure that stuff out. But I think it's a it's a, it's a possibility and, and maybe a solution to sort of the problem that I think a lot of people are facing. But Anyway, well, this is amazing. And everybody definitely go out and buy these books by Karen. They are so good. And I really, really think you will enjoy them. And there's a lot of thoughts, whether you're you're in it, just working from home, or you're trying to manage um, the, a team from there. I think there's just so many solid thoughts in, in your book. It's really, really great. So Thank you, Karen. And if you like this episode, like it and give it all five stars and all the reviews. And we're here every Monday and Wednesday with lots of great founders, CEOs, and authors that are giving tons of topical information. And uh, have a great week. Thanks so much. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.